Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Okay, so I'm excited to welcome the program from Grey's Anatomy, ABC's Grey's Anatomy, Jason George. Jason, thanks for calling, man, and uh, I know you are excited about your charity. We're going to talk about that very soon, but what another amazing season of Grey's Anatomy. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, most definitely. Look, I was I was a fan of the show before I was ever on it, and uh, I'd been watching for a couple of years before I got the opportunity to join the show, and I've been lucky enough to be around for several seasons and this is actually my first season as a series regular and they uh they threw me some really serious stuff i, I didn't really you know, it was like a from first to fifth gear right off the bat uh they, they you know i'm cutting people open outside of operating rooms everywhere you turn and uh you know people are dying on me and then in the, the, the finale i end up having to operate on uh you know my best friend's wife <laughs> and and try and save their baby. So it's uh it, it's been intense, but it's been a great season. I mean, you know, we Denzel Washington came through this season, directed an episode, an episode that I think Ellen Pompeo should win an Emmy for. She was fantastic. And so even though this was this past season was season twelve, it's been like uh, it's like Shonda and the, the whole writing staff wanted to make sure everybody knew the show is better than ever, and uh, the ratings have shown that. Everybody's back to watching again. It's uh, ratings are better than they've been in years. So it's uh it's it's a good time to be on the show. Well, you have a great time slot that that uh, that night. It's just perfect with the lineup that's on ABC. So people, it's just everyone's hooked throughout the time. That's what's happened, and and uh, and and you get the right storylines and the right things, and there you go. And I, I'm, I think you sh- seem so excited about just having this opportunity, right? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I, I love I love playing Benny. You know, I, I love playing this, this character. He's a strong guy, and he's a he's a guy of integrity. And you know, and he's he's not afraid. He went back to school after being you know an anesthesiologist, just collecting money for so long. He went back because he was inspired to be a surgeon to try and be part of uh, more of the, at the core of what saves lives. Uh, so it's uh, it's cool to see this guy who's not afraid to to take a step back so he can take two or three steps forward. You know. Uh, and, uh, exactly. and Shonda, working for Shonda Rhimes has been a has, has been a dream. I gotta say, it's, it's, it's it definitely seems like a dream for sure, Doctor Ben. And I think the whole thing that I'm excited about is talking about your charity because Doctor Ben, think of I mean, I, I, I was calling Doctor Ben, Jason. When you think about specifically enough, <laughs> your success as an actor that's that's a faux pas, but that's a good one uh, for our fans that are such huge fans of yours that you want to definitely give back. And your success as an actor says, you know what, i got to pay it forward. So tell us about your campaign and, the, the, and your new charity. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the point. I mean, you know, celebrity is, is great and all. It's nice to get a decent table at a restaurant, but it's really about trying to give something back. That's, otherwise, it's, you know, that's, that's really the only point to it. So I've been working with this great organization called the Multiracial Americans of Southern California, MASK. And MASK does work not just in Southern California. That's where they started. They do work all over the nation trying to help people from different cultures peacefully coexist. It's all about trying to help, uh, you know, us better communicate across cultures. And so I am raising money for this group. Uh, and if you go to prizeo.com slash Jason, that's P-R-I-Z-E-O dot com slash Jason, you can help fund these programs for the next several years uh, that help people from different cultures peacefully coexist. And you can also help us work uh, – Mask is fiscally sponsoring a documentary that I'm working on with them, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But if you donate, not only does it go to this great cause, but – Donating also earns you chances in a raffle, and the winner of the raffle wins a free trip to Los Angeles to hang out with me and the gang. So you oh, donate wow. to the raffle, you can win a chance to come to LA, and I'll take you by I'll take you by my place of work, and you'll hang out with with my coworkers a little bit, and then uh, it all finishes up at night with a private party in the honor of the uh, winner. 
and we will be premier- watching the premieres of the Thursday shows, and we will live tweet, so you'll be the envy of millions of people on social media because you'll be throwing out selfies of you with me and, and the other recognizable faces from your favorite Thursday shows, and, uh, and we'll be live streaming out. So uh, that all happens if you donate. The more you donate, the more chances you get to win. And uh, then, you know, the other thing that I was going to say was that uh, if you go to meltingpotproject.org, that's meltingpotproject.org, uh, that's sort of the website for the documentary that Mask and I uh, are working on together. Um, if you go there, it'll direct you to the prizeyo.com uh, campaign, so you can still donate. But if you go to our website, you can also uh, share your story. If you've ever been, if you're somebody who's ever in your life dated or been in a serious relationship, with somebody who's of a different race or ethnicity, from a different religion, or from a different country. We want to hear your story, because the whole idea of the documentary is what can we learn from those relationships? We kind of think that's ground zero for where the cultural divide happens. You know, when you marry somebody, when you're dating somebody, you're not just marrying them, you're marrying their whole family. And so can those families overcome the cultural, you know, if those families can overcome the cultural differences, can that teach America something about how to overcome cultural differences between groups? You know what I mean? And so uh, exactly. we want to look and, at where it goes. I what, see that pa- you know, the- and Jason, I see that passion of yours. What made you so passionate about helping this? I think this is impo- so important in our society today where people uh, we're, we're in this divide right now to have an organization like this. But what made you partner with them and be involved in this? You, you know, it's really completely out of, you know, very happened naturally out of my own life. My wife is East Indian and I'm, I'm, I'm a black man in, a, you know, <laughs> in, Virginia, in, a, in America. So, and uh, when we started dating, we saw, you know, the differences where you can celebrate the differences, you can recognize the differences, or you can see the differences as and something to be, you know, uh, to be a problem. And we saw it in our, you know, our own lives. So uh, that's what led me to, to let us to start to want to work on this documentary and start to want to work with Mask is we see what, how great it can be when people overcome the cultural differences. That's been our experience. But I have other friends who... You know, I have a friend who's Jewish, and he married a woman who's not Jewish. And his, his mother said, and I quote, you're finishing what Hitler started uh, because his wife's oh. uh, not Jewish. And, and so the, the kid, you know, and it's painful. She wasn't at the wedding. And it's just, this is a woman who I was in the house all growing up calling her mom. So, you know, we changed laws to, you know, it used to be illegal to marry somebody of a different race. You know, we've changed the laws, but hearts and minds still take a lot of changing. You know, I mean, uh there, there was a Loving Day. is June 12th. Uh, we celebrate Loving Day because on June 12th, 1967, Richard and Mildred Loving won their case for them to be married in front of the Supreme Court. Oh, he was my. Caucasian. She was Native American and African American. And it was illegal for them to be married because they were of two different races. Uh, they won that case in 1967, but cut to the year 2000, decades, decades later, just a little bit ago, and Alabama still had on the books laws that said that you couldn't be married. But they said, you know, it's unconstitutional. Nobody's paid attention to those laws. But somebody said, let's make a statement. Let's, let's have a statewide ballot to pull it out, to pull those words out so they don't even exist anymore. Forty percent of people That's... voted to keep it. It passed, and they pulled it out. But it's still 40 percent of people voted to keep oh, laws banning gosh. interracial marriage on the books. So it's a, it's a definite pass so, yeah. years. Tell us about the documentary really quick. We've got a couple minutes That's it, uh, about the documentary. That you're about to, yeah, so we like, to. You know, the, the, the documentary Melting Pot Project, you know, the Melting Pot Project is all about looking at these uh, multicultural relationships, you know, people of different races or ethnicities, different religions or different countries. And it's about saying, you know, if those families that those, you know, that the couple come from, if those families are able to overcome the cultural differences, there's something to be learned from there. And if they're not able to overcome them, what are the pitfalls? and how you communicate to people from a different culture. What are the pitfalls when people make assumptions? I'll just use an example from my own life. You know, when uh, my wife is East Indian, so when you get yeah. married in India, the wedding dress is red in India is, the symbol, is what you wear to a funeral. It's the color of death. <laughs> and that's, that's, you know, it's, it feels very different. You know, my mother is looking and she goes, the dress is red. What is that? You know, and there's an immediate response. But here's the yeah. thing. It's a dress. It's, it's a dress. You know, it's, yeah. you, you can... That, if you want that to be the hill you die on, then we got bigger. We had huge problems because at the end of the day, oh, you know, we, we got married and the photos are beautiful. The photos are beautiful and off the chain. And you can go to, you know, if you, anybody who checks out my you know, Instagram or, or Twitter feed will see, you know, beautiful shots. It looks like a Bollywood poster. But, you know, that's a difference. It's not better or worse. It's just different. 
and you can see differences Absolutely. scary or you can see different or you can celebrate the differences and so this documentary is saying how do we approach these things you can scream and yell and say why you know and freak out about these things or see them as scary or you can find a way to have a conversation that's much more peaceful and much more productive and so the doc, doc is trying to say let's take a look at these couples and these families and see if we can learn to teach America how to more, have a more peaceful, more productive conversation. Okay, um, so really excited about your projects. Best place to find from you, Instagram, Twitter, all the places to follow you, and the websites to go to. Go ahead and tell us real quick, Jason. So you can get me get at me at, uh, at Jason W. George on Twitter and Jason at, you know, at Jason Winston George on Instagram. And uh, the... The campaign to just raise money, if you just want to donate, you go to prizeo.com slash Jason, uh, P-R-I-Z-E-O dot com slash Jason. And if you want to donate, and whenever, the spot that he takes you to everything is meltingpotproject.org. Melting, O-R-G, will take you to the, you can go from there to the donation. You can go from there to tell us your stories. You can go from there to sign the online petition to make Loving Day officially recognized by the federal government. So, that, uh, you know, Loving Day is a day that literally is to say, you know, let's just celebrate the fact that love is love is love, and we shouldn't be creating, we should be loving each other more instead of hating on each other more. Okay, well, thanks a lot for calling. Best of luck in all the adventures, and uh, you're doing some tremendous things to raise awareness. So take care, Jason. Thanks again. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. You're listening to the Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. On the line. I am indeed. How are you? Fantastic. Excited to welcome from HBO's Game of Thrones star, Eugene Simon. Eugene, you must be enthused about this season, aren't you? I'm absolutely thrilled. We've had a very, very enjoyable season so far, and I've, uh, I hope fans uh, enjoy the, the gruesomeness of Episode 8. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about your character, then we'll get right into Episode 8, uh, your character and how it's evolved in the seasons you've been with Game of Thrones. Well, I play uh, the character of Lancel uh, Lannister, or brother, brother Lancel, or Game of Thrones, and I played him over the past six years. Uh, but he started in the show as a very different character. He started off as a member of the Lannister household, who was a sort of Machiavellian household of this world. And he starts off as a squire, essentially, a squire sleeping with his cousin, uh, ascends to the high, and, and then ascends to the high rank of knight, and has, if you like, a very, very kind of unfortunate downfall at the end of season two and becomes this sort of religiously converted figure that we now see in seasons five and six. So it's been the past six years of my character has been quite a, quite an interesting uh, roller coaster of a ride. Well, it seems like it uh, for sure, Eugene and, and, the, and the ride and to see the, the success of game of Thrones must blow you away, right? From the beginning when you first started on the show to now it's, it's just, people are just so reviews everywhere. they, it's like it's like Monday morning quarterback after Sunday's show. Yeah, I mean it's amazing that the show has become what it has. It, you know, it's, it's been such a pleasure. It's been such a pleasure to work on, but it makes us so happy to know that fans enjoy it the way that they do. Um, I don't think anyone foresaw Game of Thrones having quite the kind of global uh, effect that it has had. But certainly, when uh, in season one, when Ned Stark, played by Sean Bean's head, was cut off. Uh, I think that's when Game of Thrones really, uh, really kind of changed uh, in a very, very big way for us. All right, so let's kind of let's go into this episode on Sunday. What happened with your character? And without spoiling anything, it was pretty wild, wasn't it? It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lancel has um, Lancel Lannister, well, brother Lancel, I should say, has certainly got quite a big, quite a bone to pick with the um, the crown, specifically with Cersei. So um, the nature of this confrontation that happened in episode eight was all about trying to really undermine her power and sort of, if you like, bring her to heel, which is what they have been able to do thus far to her, um, as, you, as you can see from her, the walk of shame that she did in season five. But a lot of that scene that we saw yesterday in episode eight was about Lancel and the Faith trying to even more firmly assert their authority over Cersei. Um, but unfortunately for them, it didn't quite go according to plan. <laughs> uh, it, it definitely didn't. And we'll, people that have not and are DVRing it for sure. And, and I think what so makes the show so uh, exciting is you never know what move each person is going to make 
each each week, right? You never know uh, what who's gonna who's going to try something and then something else, and then before you know it, a surprise happens. It's true. You know, you start off every scene, and um, the the way that these scenes are written is that they always develop in such an abstract way, but they do keep you very very captivated by how much the decisions of each character change over the course of the seasons. You know, Jamie Lannister, for example, played by Nikolai Costavaldu, who plays my cousin on the show, has changed dramatically as a character. You never, you never predict who he was in season... Uh, you never predict who he was now when you start on season one. And I think Lancel is certainly one of those characters, too. You just you never know which way they're going to go when they appear on the screen. Have you jumped, Eugene, into the social media game and really trying to, pl- to connect with your fans and stuff through, these, through this experience? Absolutely, on absolutely. I, it, it's really, really fun being on social media and working with, in Game of Thrones because, you know, you, you are able to do some really wonderful things. And I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram for those that care to follow me on Twitter. I'm, uh, it's Eugene underscore Simon. Um, but it's been wonderful to do it because, you know, playing, playing a character like Lancel. Lannister, you know, he's certainly visually rather memorable, and uh, people have a very, very strong opinion of him. But then they go onto social media, and I'm fortunately, I think, a much nicer person than than Lancel Lannister. So they get they get to come on social media and have fun with us, you know, and start talking to us and start interacting with us. Um, and I just think that's a real it's a real pleasure to do that. I really enjoy it. Absolutely. And so Eugene, now what's coming up? How many more episodes for this season? And uh... Uh, I know you can't tell us much, but what happened with your character on Sunday, look out, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you guys can expect that you've got two more episodes coming. They will be with you uh, on the follow- on, on the up-and-coming Sundays. Um, in terms of what's going to be happening, what I can tease for you guys, well, most of what this season and what last season was about is the rise of this religious order and really how they're trying to kind of get the family, the Lannister household, really out of power by just demeaning them and, de- and devaluing their uh, how they are perceived in the Seven Kingdoms. And anyone who watches Game of Thrones, who is listening to this, what you're going to see over the next couple of episodes is how the faith is very, very capable of having a very layered plan as to how it plans on undermining Cersei. And when you guys watch episode 9 and 10, you're going to be... Uh, once again, as you always are, I hope, very, very shocked to see quite how that plan will be executed, and it does heavily involve survey. How many people are you always converting every day, Eugene, to Game of Thrones, especially when you catch up with it on demand at HBO, but also Netflix, all the, the earlier seasons, because you really have to be a uh, really catch up in the, in the success of it, in the book, and all. How, how do you... Uh, convert people, especially when so many people are fans of Game of Thrones, but everyone needs to watch, right? Well, um, we, you know, we love it that people do watch. You know, there are, there are some people out there who, who have seen the show um, but not read the books, and there are those who have read the books uh, and not seen the show. But it is, um, you know, I don't think we ever go out and start to kind of, um, you know, religiously try to convert people to watching it. But for those <laughs> that do watch it, you know, it's certainly something that we love to, uh, we love to talk about. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons that being on social media is so fun. And given that so many of the characters in Game of Thrones, um, you know, have such varying storylines compared to the books, there, there is usually a very interesting discussion to be had. You know, I mean, take, for example, my character, Lancel Lannister in Game of Thrones, when he has this big religious um, kind of uh, realization, this transformation in himself, he's supposed to be, have long gray hair and be wrinkled and be very thin and have kind of one foot in the grave. So that was the book version, whereas in the show, this is a character that I play, which is far more um, sort of fortified and far more uh, em- uh, empowered and bold and focused and, and, and very, very zen um, and ultimately very, very violent. So the, the way that we have split away from the books has meant, has made, made, meant a lot to the fans, I think, because they've, able, they've been able to talk about the, the same world in two different ways. I think you're converting people to get to HBO if they've read the books and have not, because uh, they can they can go and uh, get uh, HBO on demand as well to catch up, and because I think that's the big thing, get people to subscribe to HBO 
that's the thing that probably the only people that have not watched it. So that's basically right. Isn't there an HBO on demand thing that they can just go ahead and get to and watch the show anytime they want on demand? Yeah. Uh, yes. If you're if you're in the United States, then you um, you can certainly subscribe to an HBO Go um, subscription, as I understand it. And if you are outside of the, the U.S., then you can go on Sky Atlantic or wherever outlet you want. But um, HBO Go is certainly the way forward. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Eugene. Best of luck, and we can follow you again on Twitter and Instagram. Tell us real quick. If you would like to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at Eugene underscore Simon. And on Instagram, you can find me on just one word. It's Eugene Snaps. So I'd love to hear from you guys. Come and say hi anytime. Absolutely. And I'm going to have to catch up. I'm being honest. And that's because I don't have HBO or I'd be watching. Take care. You're listening to the Celebrity Show. We'll be back in just a Yes, Neil. How are you? Fantastic. So I'm excited to welcome to the program Michael Harney. Orange is the new black. Michael, I, I'm sure you're so excited about season four launching today on Netflix, aren't you? Uh, I am very excited about it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really uh, thrilled and very grateful to be part of a, of a show where we all get to do, uh, you know, really, really good artwork. It's like being able to go to work and paint every day, you know. Definitely. And uh, when you first were approached for this project, the show, did you think it was going to have the success that it has? And that it has? No, I didn't. I mean, I... I I like any. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, so it was work to me. Um, I was approached. I had done weeds for two years, and so when I heard that Genji was doing something new, I said, "Well, sure." I mean, I just said yes right away because I knew the quality that that uh, she would create. Uh, so I I, uh, I jumped right on board. I had no idea the level of success that it would have. I, 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 had, I thought that it had, would have a good chance because it was Genji, you know. Yeah. But I didn't. I didn't have any idea that it was going to be this successful. And I think you guys have made Netflix a great place for entertainment that is their brand, and I think that the success of your show has really brought Netflix to this player in, in media involving original shows, for sure. Well, you know, uh, Netflix, the people that are, are really running that uh, group, they're, they're so smart. Yeah. Uh, and they're really, really, really creative in what they're doing. Um, it's not just Orange is the New Black. I, I think that we're a, a, a show that is a, 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 that kind of, it was a web series. Uh, um, and then people were like, hey, what is this? We don't know where, where this is going to go in the beginning. And then uh, it turned into more and more. And I, I think that they, they're, uh, much to their uh, credit, they realized uh, uh, this wonderful group that we work for realized that uh, this was such a largely diversified cast. This gave voice, this show gives voice to so many different groups that really don't have an opportunity to be heard, that have been marginalized, that have been oppressed. and it's really a, a great opportunity to um, to be uh, part of a, an activism, really, um, within the, the business of show business as an artist. And that doesn't happen all the time, so I'm very no. grateful for that. So basically, for the, the, in the fourth season, really it's giving a voice, as you said, to women in prison, understanding specifically enough the atrocities that are happening and also some of the reasons why they're in prison. Correct, Michael? Yes. Yeah, the utilization of backstory. 
is essential, I think, to the success of what we're doing. Um, the reasons why people wind up taking actions that they take in their own lives. Uh, this is extremely important because it fleshes out things. It allows the viewing audience to have a personal identification with what they perceive and what they're discerning as they're watching a piece of art. Without that uh, backstory, without uh, giving a cause, uh, giving a reason uh, as to why people wind up incarcerated, as to why people wind up working in the prison system and uh, taking actions that they take, uh, which may not be the most uh, um, uh, wonderful uh, actions that human beings can take, right? Um, I think is really important because it allows the viewing audience to say, hey, that could be me. Yeah. You know, these people are not so different from me. <laughs> Absolutely. Look at this story just came out in the news today, Michael. Uh, I'm a former professional wrestler, and Jerry the King Lawler and his girlfriend have two conflicting stories about what happened with domestic abuse. And the, the court system is going to figure that out, not the people that were physically there. So that's the kind of things that happen that it's one word against another word, and a lot of times they're just a bystander, a woman who ends up in jail because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And our court system will house them for as long as sometimes the person who commits the crime. Right, Michael? Um, I, no, I don't think it's that simple. I think that uh, systemically we have uh, situations that uh, the people that are working in our justice system are struggling um, with a, uh, a way of doing things, a, a, uh, a systemic way of doing things that oftentimes is lacking in terms yes. of finding what really happened in certain situations. And um, I don't think it's black and white. I think it's something that really needs to be uh, done uh, very thoroughly and uh, approached. And I, I think our show deals with that. I think our show deals with the fact that, um, you know, we're, we're really kind of hobbling along uh, trying to, uh, you know, house people, house, put people into situations after crimes are committed, uh, dealing with people that are mentally ill that really shouldn't even be in prison, yes, that, yes. that should be in another type of situation. So um, hopefully what we're doing will bring some light to these issues uh, so, that, so that, you know, at, at some point um, questions can be raised and, you know, you always hope in a, in a, uh, in a perfect world that, that, that some changes can take place. Well, Michael, basically your character, it's probably helped you learn more and more about the system that maybe you didn't know as much after being part of this and understanding this and, and this movement for sure. And that's very important. Again, season premiere today on Netflix. You go to Netflix to go ahead and, uh, and download uh, the show or stream it on Netflix. Very simple. And, Michael, best place uh, to find information on you, where can we go? Uh, just plug my name in, you know, Wikipedia or IMDb. There's, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. You know, just keep watching the show. That's that's important. And you're on. And you're. Are you on Twitter, Michael? Oh yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not a social media. I'm not very social media savvy. But uh, I think it's Michael Harney four. And All right. uh, on Instagram, it's Michael Harney 7 Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll definitely uh, tag you with all the syndication this interview goes out to. And thanks again for coming on the show, and best of luck in uh, continued success of the show and your acting career, Michael. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for speaking with me this morning. Take care, Michael. See you. Okay. Bye-bye. Are you on the line? Hello. Kenny, oh, so we're excited to welcome the program Kenny Florian from BattleBot Season 2. 
Kenny and UFC uh, guy. Kenny, thanks for calling. How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic. So tell me the difference between battle bots and you as a UFC fighter and, like, strategy from watching it as a commentator to being a UFC fighter. You know, there are actually a lot of similarities, you know. Um, I think for a lot of these um, robot builders, I think they, they go into it um, pretty well prepared, you know. For the most part, I think that a lot of these guys, they, do, they put so many hours and, and so much money into these bots. Um, but for a lot of them, they're not able to kind of test out the bots uh, in, in fights for the most part, for a lot of the new bot builders. So a lot of the experienced guys, a lot of the guys who have already tested out their bots and are bringing them back have an advantage because they, they are battle-tested. I think that's, that's a big thing with, with the UFC as well, is that you want to make sure that you're battle-tested, that you're experienced, that you have um, you know, the knowledge of what you're going to uh, see out there before you get out there. So preparation is key, and, and um, you know, I, I think that's, that's a big thing. And for a lot of the new age bots, we're, we're kind of seeing the development and the evolution um, of the robots, a lot like we're seeing in mixed martial arts, where it's it's the bots that are a little bit more versatile, the bots that can do more things that are going to be more successful in the competitions. Uh, most definitely, and I think that when you're that's that's a great point you made, Kenny, is that battle tested, and you think of battle bots and the amount of hard work, working out, training before a fight. The same thing, people that that are uh, building these bots have to test them out to make sure that they're ready to face whoever they're going to face on battle bots. And, and that, that's, that's the key component is did they build a robot that can withstand a fight between another bot? Yeah. And, and it gets even more difficult because obviously it's a tournament, you know, it, it's okay. You, you yeah. get through the first one, but do you have, you know, the, the endurance, do you have, you know, the wherewithal to be able to, you know, uh, last in the tournament, fight after fight after fight. And it's, uh, it's a tough thing. You can do great one fight, and the next fight, you know, your bot could get tore apart. Exactly. Let's think about this, Kenny, and, and this is actually, that's a great point. Is when I'm sure as a UFC fighter, when you were going up the ranks, you wouldn't just have one fight some nights, right? Sometimes it would be multiple yeah. ones, right? Yeah, there were. There were. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, at some point, um, you know, in the sport, I didn't have to deal with that myself. I mean, I did with other martial arts tournaments, jiu-jitsu tournaments, for example. Um, yeah, you, you had maybe up to six or seven matches in, in one day, and that's like 10-minute matches. So you're fighting for about, you know, an hour or more um, in one day. So it's about being able to withstand the different styles and how to – compete against the different styles of fighters. Um, and it's the same with battle bots. You know, um, you may match up really well against another bot, but another bot might kick your butt. So that, that's just the way it goes. And what do you think makes you the right color commentator for something like battle bots? Is it based on your knowledge in the UFC ring that kind of puts us together? Uh, that, that's that's the, the, the question, especially transitioning, because I'm sure you've done commentating for UFC as well at times or sat in front of a match and talked about specifically what was happening. But how does that kind of equate in getting used to how fast-paced it is and to be able to commentate on it? Yeah, you know, I, I've been doing commentating for the UFC since about, let's see, I think my first one was maybe in around 2007. And, um, you know, there definitely are similarities. I think it's important to be able to explain what is going on, you know, what are the technical um, ideas that are being played out uh, during the matches. I think educating the fans of what's going on is extremely important. And also um, getting them to understand kind of the, the importance of the moment. What are these guys fighting for? Why is this important? You know, what should we be looking out for, you know, before, during, and after the match? Give some kind of analysis of, uh, of what happened. So, and I think excitement, you know, getting, having that passion kind of come through uh, while the matches are being played out. Absolutely. Let's go, let's, uh, let's go into, I guess, the experience of doing this now. What, do you, what have you learned about robots from being part of this? I'm sorry, say again? Robots. What have you learned about bots? from being part of it. Oh, geez. Uh, I, I mean, a lot. First of all, you know, the, the, the uh, amazing work that goes into it, you know, uh, 
first of all, there's a lot of physics involved. There's a tremendous amount of engineering, um, learning about the various kind of metals and what the advantages and disadvantages of using each are, um, you know, the, the different primary weapons that they use, whether it's a horizontal spinner, a vertical disc spinner, and, um, you know, again, the advantages and disadvantages of that, you know, the, the, the power of the motors, um, you know, everything. I mean, there's there's robots that are as much as $100,000, uh, some some of them even more. And and uh, it's just always impressive hearing the technology, the engineering behind these bots, the ideas, why they went with a certain weapon or why they went with a certain kind of metal. Um, it really has been a fascinating experience. And talking to the people that build them, too, I'm sure you do that before prep work as well, to talk to them and, and see specifically their backgrounds and what makes them special, right? Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, absolutely. And it was about 60 different bot builders that we had to meet with and talk with, and um, see exactly what their background is and, and kind of what their philosophy uh, was behind um, each each and every bot. So, what kind of background do we see? Do we see a lot of real scientific people, or some people just decided they they really like robotics, but yet might not have you know, that scientific background? Yeah, you know, it can be a, a pretty broad spectrum. For the most part, a lot of these guys come from engineering backgrounds. Some don't. Um, we have, uh, I think, a driver as young as 13 years old. We have a builder wow. as young as 18 years old. Um, you know, uh, we have a few teams from MIT. Uh, there's uh, people who have worked for NASA. Uh, a lot of teams have the, the background in from NASA and, and JPL and um you know, it's just an impressive group. A lot of these guys work for the government. So some of the people, you know, told us, hey, we can't tell you what we do. We work for the government, and that's all. So it's a very interesting group of it, uh, of individuals for sure. So can you ready to build a lot yourself and, and, and be in the competition in season three? <laughs> I would love to. I don't know what the heck I'm doing compared to these guys. I would probably get smashed, but I would try. It would be fun. All right, best place we can find information on you, Kenny, again, Thursday night, June 23rd, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. AB, um, ch- tune in for Bottle Box on ABC, our best place we can find info on you too, Kenny. That's can right. Yeah, you can follow me on, on Twitter at Kenny Florian or on Instagram, and uh, definitely it's going to be a fun, fun season. All right, well, can't wait to tune in with you also on UFC as well, Kenny. Thanks for calling, and best of luck in this venture. And, uh, and it's always fun for new opportunities, and I, I, I think I'm going to tune in to BattleBots this week as well, so take care. I appreciate it. Thank you. See you, Kenny. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a mob on the line. I'm here. Oh, I'm excited to welcome the program Rob Burnett from the Fundamentals of Caring that is going to be on Netflix on June 24th. You are writer and producer. I appreciate you calling, Rob, and how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. Oh, fantastic, Rob. A venture like this, after being the executive producer for David Letterman for so many years and things like this, what, is, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you like about this kind of a role compared to what you did for a lot of years? Um, well, you know, it's just something different to do. Um, you know, directing a movie is, uh, you know, is, is, uh, it's, it's really special and, and not, not completely unlike, uh, a lot of the things I did at the Letterman show, especially when I was head writer of the show. Um, you know, you have a lot of people reporting to you and you're trying to kind of get something out there, a vision accomplished of some sorts. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure, but I think what's great about this for me is that, um, you know, it's a little bit of a longer, more lasting, uh, that you're doing. You know, the Letterman show was phenomenal, but it was very disposable. You know, every day, new jokes, new jokes, new jokes. And this, you know, you spend a little more time trying to craft it because, you know, it will, you know, it's something you can show your grandchildren. They won't want to watch, but I will make them watch it. And also because you wrote this, you, it's, it's your baby in so many ways. Yes. Because there's uh, yeah, another, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's based on a novel uh, by Jonathan Evison. Um, but yes, uh, you know, you live with this for a while. I mean, these movies, even in in a, a faster paced uh, lane, take you know a few years to to, to really get going. So um, yeah, by the time it all comes to happen, uh, it's it's very exciting. All right, so tell me about tell me about the cast and also the storyline. 
the cast is uh, is a better cast than someone that I, than I deserve, honestly. Uh, Paul Rudd is in the movie, who is just unbelievable. Uh, this kid, Craig Roberts, who um, you may not know, but you will. Uh, Selena Gomez. Uh, so v- very lucky for me on the casting front. The, the quick version of the story is Paul plays uh, a, guy, a middle-aged guy who suffered a tremendous tragedy before the movie begins. And oh, wow. uh, he, he takes, uh, he's sort of flat on his back and he out of desperation learns how to be a caregiver and his first client is uh, this kid Trevor played by Craig Roberts who is an 18 year old British kid uh, that has muscular dystrophy and while this sounds incredibly depressing the movie actually plays a huge laugh because these two guys are hilarious together uh, they end up going on a road trip and they meet Selena Gomez along the way and other people um, and it's, it's, a, it's a tragic story uh, told in a very funny way Oh, and and I think it's interesting that you talk about bringing to light muscular dystrophy and seeing somebody living through through it and how their their daily life, what they have to go through, right? Um, yeah, and I would say it's not a you know it's not a deep dive into exploring you know all, all of the horrors of 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 the disease, but. Um, What's been very satisfying for me is that uh, some people involved in muscular dystrophy organizations um, have seen the movie and they and they've told me they love it be, because it shows uh, Trevor Craig Roberts' character as as a full person. You know, it doesn't def- he's not defined yeah. by his disease. He's a kid that happens to have it. But many people tell me, you know, oh, by the end of the movie we forget that he's in a wheelchair, which I take as a great compliment because the kid's so so funny and and you know sometimes he can be mean, sometimes he can be anything because. He's a full person, and by just showing that out there, uh, someone with a disability, a physical disability, and and what they go through, it's more the story. But it, saying that they can live like everyone else, I think that's a great point that you'll be able to put out there, Rob. Is that putting something out uh, that the suffering they go through, but yet they can be living a normal life like everyone else, is it, a great part of the, of having that kind of a character in the story. Yeah, I think that's what people have responded to, certainly people that, that have been, you know, in some way touched by the disease. It's really, it's a coming-of-age story um, uh, for this kid, and, you know, he just happens to have uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Uh, but really, all credit to, to the cast. Paul, Paul and Craig together are, are unbelievable uh, in this movie. They're so funny um, and, 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 and so nuanced in their performances. Um, some of it will, will make you cry, and some of it will make you laugh. Audiences so far as we've screened it across the, the country, and actually I was in Edinburgh last week at the Edinburgh Film Festival oh, wow. in Scotland. Um, audience, have, they really respond to the movie, so it's been, very, it's been a very fun movie to screen for me. So you're excited about the debut on Netflix on June 24th. That's, that's, that's making you really excited because now everyone will be able to see it, and that's, well, Netflix that's an exciting is, thing. Yeah. Netflix has been an unbelievable partner to us, and I, you know, on Friday this movie will be in 190 countries in 12 languages oh, wow. to 81 million subscribers. I mean, it's just breathtaking. So I didn't know this. So all the different languages as well, Netflix is able to put out there for you and help you in that process to to have the movie in all these different places. That's great. Yeah, they they do it all. I mean, before they came into the picture, you know, I was kind of doing everything on the movie, and the minute they came in and made it a Netflix original, um, you know, which is very prestigious in, in today's world uh, for them to take you and say, we want, you know, an exclusive distribution on your movie, it's, it's thrilling. Uh, they they just have this massive company of experts, and uh, one thing is better than the next. You know, they've got a guy doing the trailer, they got a gal doing clips, they got, you know, on and on and on. So they, they've just been uh, efficient and collaborative and just, just fantastic for me. Absolutely. So we're going to laugh and cry in this film, aren't we, Rob? Uh, that's, that's how audiences ha- have been responding so far. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a very crowd-pleasing movie, um, and I, I think people will enjoy it. Absolutely. Where's the best place we can find information on you, Rob, and stuff? Is there a, can we follow you on Twitter and different things uh, about what's going on with you? Um, what's the best place to find information about me? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, that's a good question. I, I, guess, I guess I don't know. Wikipedia is always a good place to start. So I, 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 I'm kind of uh, sort of deciding what my next move is, and uh, you know, when when that kind of uh, you know when when that gets sorted out, uh, you know, what I'm doing next, I'm, I'm sure it will uh, it will get out into the world. 
and by being involved in this project, you're definitely interested in writing some more stuff, aren't you, after this, and being involved in other movies after this, what yes, you've so I, far I, gotten the feedback out. Yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, writing and directing. It's it's uh, it's it's great fun. Um, it's exciting. It's thrilling. It's it's, it's scary in a good way. Um, so yes, if I'm if I'm given the opportunity, uh, I would love to do it again. And and uh, the, so the best place is WikiU. Rob, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, everyone needs to go to Netflix on the 24th and download it, watch it, stream it, do whatever you can do. And watch this film because it seems very interesting. And, Rob, I appreciate you accept, um, stopping by, and best of luck to you. Thank you so much. And, and uh, of course, Rob Burnett one on Twitter. I think that's maybe what you were asking, and I didn't, got, I didn't, come, yeah. I didn't come, come up with it. But, yes, um, yes, you can follow me on Twitter and get, and get updates. But thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, well, thanks, Rob. Michael, are you on the line? Hey there. Fantastic. Excited to welcome Michael Carbonero from the – Carbonara effect on True TV. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Wednesday, June 22nd, the season finale on True TV, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. Michael, it's it must be a whirlwind of the season, and now finally it's coming to an end. But it must have been a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh, it was great. This season was incredible. I mean, uh, you know, we've got we, – for those who don't know the show, you know, it's like a, it's a hidden camera magic show. Uh, I guess candid camera meets magic. And I, I'm using techniques of a magician to try and make people believe in the most outrageous things, and we watch their reactions. And it's just incredible, the stuff we've gotten to pull off. Oh, it definitely is. And so this is the funny thing part is you're a, mag- uh, a magician by trade so you're into a lot of the how this magician thing has become so big but adding that prankster to you that changes things right it makes it a very interesting show because of those two types of uh abilities you have right oh absolutely yeah i mean this season you know we got people to believe that you know that they were actually ghosts we had people believe that uh they witnessed the premonition you know, we've had people on the show believe in space aliens, uh, and we did and small, simple things too. Like, you know, we got to go in this season to uh, the Container Store and to Best Buy and make people believe in some really wild new technologies. Like, you ever you ever try to you ever try and get something out of a package that's like made in a, like a plastic clamshell package when you buy it, you can't tear it open. Yes, yes. So I, I came up with this little trick where it's this little. It's this little uh, handheld device that you just click it, and the, and the object, like batteries, will just fall right out of the package without even breaking the package open. So and it's a magic trick, but people are like, wait a minute, and they're really believing that products could just pop out of their clamshell packages, and then they want to buy the product. <laughs> <laughs> How do you come up with these cool things, man? How do you come up with these cool illusions slash and, and trick people? Yeah, you know, it's been, um, I can't believe, like, when I think about it, I actually start to sweat. We've done, because we've done, we've come up with so much stuff. I mean, we've done 58 episodes already, and we've just got so many ideas. I'm, I'm so lucky to have such a great team of, of magicians. You know, like, I've got friends who I've known in the magic community, and we all jam together. I've got, like, you know, you got to imagine, like, five guys sitting in a room just trying to fool each other and prank each other and figure out what someone might believe and then challenge each other to try it. It's, it's pretty outrageous. It seems like it's, it's, it's definitely pretty outrageous. So in those meetings, you guys are like, what can we do to top that? Right, Michael? What can we do? To oh, top absolutely. The, the, yeah. the last prank. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most writer rooms, people get together and try to figure out what they can do. And we're in the writer room trying to figure out what we can't do and then figure out how to do it. <laughs> like, what's not possible? Now let's figure out how to make it possible. And what would you say is your mentorship when it comes to magic? Where, who are your favorite magicians of all time to make you want to be a magician well, and stuff? Yeah. Growing up, it was Copperfield, Penn and Teller. Um, and now, you know, I'm friends with Teller now. Uh, wow. And Penn and Teller. And, um, I've got people, you know, in the magic community, some real unbelievable minds. You know, Johnny Thompson, Michael Weber, David Regal, 
Derek Hughes, Derek Delgadio. They're these guys that, um, man, they are they, at the top of their game mentally with, with how to come up with tricks and how to pull them off. And um, that we wouldn't have the Carbonaro effect if there weren't for the support of so many incredible minds and magic. Well, it sounds like it for sure. And then would you even go back in time of uh, of just uh, of, of thinking about uh, magic and Houdini too? and go even further back in history of looking at back at different things and how he was able to do illusions? Absolutely. I mean, I think that with Houdini, you know, it, it was the, the real um, myth of what he was doing. You know, like he, he was a figure that was a really kind of, um, you know, a superhero. Houdini was in a lot of ways one of the first superheroes that the world had. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that that's, that's really cool. I think people really like to, to, to fantasize about the idea of somebody being able to accomplish these feats that are beyond humanity. It's just a, a myth that doesn't, you know, get old. It's just something that's really fun to watch. And then with the Carbonaro effect, being able to kind of put that figure out into the public secretly and then watch the way ordinary people, you know, believe or wrestle with believing that these things are really happening. It's just really engaging to watch. It definitely seems engaging to watch, and, and for sure. And uh, what are we going to expect for the season finale? Can you give us a little bit of a clue? Well, what we've re- what we've explored this time was really seeing if we could get people to have things happen in their mind. Uh, where you know, this the mm. course of the season, we had somebody believe that they you know encountered deja vu. They've lost time. Right. We made them believe in having a premonition. Um, and in the season finale now, we're actually uh, taking place. We, we bring somebody into what they believed was a, um, a hospital, and they, uh, they witness an escape, you know, that's just absolutely impossible. Uh, right in front of their eyes, somebody is there one minute and gone the next, and she is just freaking out. It's, it's really amazing. <laughs> so people definitely have to tune in. Uh, Again, on uh, Wednesday night, June 22nd, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, True TV's Carbonaro Effect. And I tell you, Michael, uh, a whirlwind uh, for sure. Where can people find information on you as well, Michael? Where can they go? Yeah, I've been on tour since uh, April as well. It's been great to do live shows and have people come and actually see the magic happening right in front of them. Um, And my tour schedule and all the stuff, Carbonaro, is on uh, michaelcarbonaro.com. And, Michael, are you coming to Pittsburgh? I didn't check the tour schedule. Are you coming to Pittsburgh? To Pittsburgh? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, I was in um, – we were close. Where was I? I was in um, – we went to Reading. But, uh, okay. No, not Pittsburgh. We're actually going to be coming out uh, – we're going to be in Reno, in Temecula, California, Boston, and New Hampshire – uh, Seattle, awesome. Oregon. It's all at com. Phoenix. Fantastic. Whenever you do tour in Pittsburgh, we, look me up. We'll definitely have a cup of coffee or beer, okay, man? Awesome, man. All right. Bye. Well, thanks for calling, Michael. Take care. You got it. Talk to you later. All right. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. I think we do have Cameron on the line. Cameron, are you on the line? I am indeed on the line. How are you doing? So I'm excited to welcome to the program entertainment to tonight, anchor Cameron Matheson. Cameron, it's uh, great to talk to you today, and uh, I know you're really excited about what's coming up Sunday, right? I am indeed, yeah. It's our fourth installment of our Murder, She Bakes series of movies on the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel. Uh, I think it's the most exciting film yet. I play Detective Mike Kingston. Allison Sweeney is the lead, playing Hannah Swenson, and she's a, a sort of a baker in town that happens to also be just a phenomenal detective herself. So uh, it's a really fun dynamic. It's a good mystery that the whole family can watch. And that's what's so fantastic about Hallmark. Wouldn't you agree, Cameron, that uh, the way they bring uh, the family back, I think that there's not a lot of networks out there anymore that are able to, the whole family can watch television together. 
Yeah, I mean it's 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 a really good point, I think, because you get a, in a sense there's other family television shows out there, but you really have to search for them, you know. Like you've got to know which one on which network at which time is a good family friendly one for your family. Whereas Hallmark, you're solid, you know. There's um, I, I feel so thrilled that my kids can sit down and watch the you know Hallmark movie with me that I'm in or I'm not in, and, and know that it's going to be. It's going to be family friendly, but at the same time, like these are these are good mysteries. These are fun mysteries. There's a lot of humor in them. There's a lot of great um, detective work. You know, they really work hard to try and make these um, mysteries tough to figure out. And uh, it's just it's just a good ride. Like you tune in for a few minutes, and I was just talking to somebody else, and they were saying like I, I just flip it on and see it for a couple seconds. Next thing I know, 45 minutes has gone by. You're you're, you're really drawn in. And what is it's interesting you going and putting on another hat, Cameron, being a co-anchor on Entertainment Tonight, to now taking in the role on television where you interview lots of people that are on TV and movies. Is that is that different for you? How much have you done acting before this opportunity came about? Yeah, I um, it it is very different, um, and and it's also very refreshing, and I really enjoy it. It's a it's a serious challenge. I. Uh, I worked with Good Morning America as a contributor for a bunch of years, and that's really where I kind of, um, I really basically sort of found my way there as, as, a, as a correspondent, as a contributor. Um, I've, I've hosted different shows, um, but not, not in, the, in the entertainment news or the news format. Um, and, and, and ET is kind of a, a combination of all of that. You know, you're obviously I'm out there doing the interviews. I'm on the red carpets. I'm covering uh, movie junkets, and um, um, I'm in studio. You know, as a correspondent on the Daily Show, I also co-host the weekend show, the ET weekend show, and I fill in co-host during the weekend. So it's got all these different a- um, aspects and elements, and um, it's it's incredibly. Uh, uh, it's just a really quick learning curve. There's lots to learn. There's lots to catch, sort of catch up to. And um, I feel uh, it's very. Uh, it just kind of keeps you going. It definitely feels the um, feels the desire to learn and to push yourself. And to, I mean, there's constantly every single day I'm studying somebody new or something new and yes. and learning uh, more about a celebrity here or whatever. So there's it's just it's just constant growth. It's constant growth. So you see all that. And then now you're in the other role, and it's it's so great for you because you know what these actors you've learned so much, and now you're in this role. Yeah. And now you can take that, yeah. and then they can they probably respect you more as a co-anchor now because you act. I think. Well, that it's, that's possibly true. I, I started actually as an actor on all my children for about. Um, 14, 13, 14 years on that show, and I did you know a lot of other uh, acting gigs oh, before. Okay. You know, the hosting and the correspondence was something that came slowly um, uh, as I worked as an actor, uh, um, and and so having like an acting background and staying active as an actor, I think definitely to your point helps um, the interviews. I was just interviewing. Uh, everybody at Finding Dory, um, you know, Ellen and Ty Burrell. And, oh, wow. and Ty was saying to me, like, right, yeah, as we were saying, and he was like, and, and you're an actor too, right? Like, he knew, like, for whatever reason, he, he recognized me as an actor as well. And he's like, so you know, like, so it's almost, you know, almost sort of actor to actor talk. Um, and that conversation, hopefully, you know, it becomes a little bit of a different conversation when you're talking to somebody that's just, of course, not just, but that's a solely correspondent and, and doesn't have that insight as an actor. And see, that's the thing. I try to make a connection if I have time. And these short radio tours, I don't always, but because we are both journalists, but also I was a former professional wrestler. So when I days in pro wrestling and rubbing elbows with a lot of superstars, they kind of say, okay, we checked your background out. We know we can have a more of a connection because you were in the entertainment field compared to somebody who's just a journalist. They don't know the life of what yeah, that's we exactly, live by. that's exactly it. And then that means you can get yeah, a little man, bit more, I, I, and they start talking to you, and you get more information, Cameron. That's the cool part, right? Yeah, you get a little bit more of the yeah, scoop because they feel more comfortable with you. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, um, that's definitely, uh, it's definitely come, in, come in handy. I mean, sometimes... They don't know if they don't know you know the acting background and, and that which is totally fine. But sometimes when they do, they, your, your point is um, is very valid. 
All right, so again, Murder, She Baked, a deadly recipe, Sunday, June 19th, 9 p.m. Eastern. So we're going to be a little nervous, right, about uh, baking right after that, right? You never know. Well, what's going to end up in uh, our food, right? <laughs> or things from this. Well, from this, you know, luckily show, the, yeah. the, the baking itself, luckily the baking itself is never the, the, uh, the murder weapon. It's never, uh, it's just in and around um, the, the, the baking is sort of like an overall theme of each episode of each uh, movie, but uh, it's not like somebody. Uh, I, I, even though the even though the uh, the, the title is a deadly recipe, uh, I'll, I'll give that much away. Don't worry about the baked goods on this show. <laughs> but you always think about okay, food, uh, entertainment, and then also sometimes crime. Think about it. Everything, oh, all yeah. our lives revolve around food. You know that, Cameron. Really. Every community well, event, yeah. all those things rely on food. So, Where's the best place we can find yeah. information on you, Cameron, and learn more about you? Where can we go? Uh, as far as, like, social media? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm at, uh, at Cameron Matheson on both uh, Twitter and Instagram. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.